Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how are you? I am a bit worn out from a week, a wild week actually, in St. Louis. Uh, what a time this week at the annual meeting uh, up in St. Louis. I, I know you were working nonstop, I was working nonstop, I know a lot of our listeners uh, for them, it's not a week to go and, and and listen. It's a week to go and work. Right. I'm glad to be home. And that I think what we saw this week in St. Louis was a monumental week in the history of the SBC. Yeah, I, I think there are some of us who, it's interesting how you have sort of this, you know, this 10-year point. I think there are a lot of us that who were that were in Greensboro in 2006 that would look and say, we were at a kind of a turning point then, and we were we're there for a monumental week. Even those of us like me, who it was my first time and I was kind of trying to figure out what was going on. I had a sense of what a big deal that week was. And I don't think I've seen anything like that again until this week. Yeah. Even the GCR passing in 2010 in Orlando, I think pales in comparison to what we saw this week. Yeah, I would agree. There was so much discussion going up to that, but I think everyone had a real sense of what was going to happen going into that time. And I, I, I know for those involved, there were, I'm sure, different types of discussions. I know there was discussion on the floor, but there was a lot of momentum going into those weeks. This week just had so many twists and turns that we didn't expect. What a time, though, for people to see why uh, we should all engage in the process. Yeah, I think the, the word leading into this week was uncertainty. Right. And and coming out of it is unity. Yes. All right. Well, before we jump into our recap, we do want to thank our sponsor again this week, 2028. Today's episode is brought to you by 2028.co, powered by Lifeway, the world's largest provider of Christian resources. Christ himself calls us to give, and 2028 makes it easy for your members to be good stewards that God has called them to be. Start taking advantage of e-giving today. Uh, the more your congregation uses it through 2028, the less you pay for other 2028 services. Get started today at 2028.co. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y 28.co. All right, Amy, let's jump right into this. This podcast will be a little bit differently formatted than our regular formats because I'm going to assume and, and guess maybe that People who uh, listen to us either were there or have been following what's going on. You probably know the news. So what we're going to do, instead of doing more of a news recap, we're going to provide some commentary on a few points uh, that came out during the 2016 SBC annual meeting in St. Louis. And we're going to start with the motions from the floor. That was pretty wild. Um, here, here we, you and I were talking earlier, some of my major observations from that time um, is that we had 22 motions from the floor. That's actually a, a very large amount. I've been there some years where they start, you know, asking for motions and there are a few and then you just have silence and they move on. But we went all the way uh, up until the time. They were everywhere and they covered just a whole spectrum, which gives an insight into uh, the the messenger process that there are messengers all over the place that have different things on their minds and have different values and things they want to talk about. So we got to really hear that. Uh, the observation I gave to you, and I know a lot of people were wondering, where's Wiley Drake? Um, he wasn't there. We were all waiting for him to come up to a microphone, and then he wasn't. But if you remember, uh, those of us who have been before, you know, Wiley Drake comes with several motions. I mean, he's he pops back up to the microphone all the time. And we had 22 motions, even without any motions from Wiley Drake, without, you know, four or however many, we still had 22. 
so that means that people really showed up and they were brought by men, by women, um, by, uh, you know, a, a wide spectrum of ages. The messengers did not all look exactly the same at the microphone. That was a very interesting time. Yeah, and a couple of uh, notes on those motions. One offered by uh, one of my coworkers, Ed Stetzer, about the SBC considering the possibility of joining the National Association of Evangelicals. It was referred to the executive committee. There was another one on a, a bylaw, a couple of bylaw procedures. We had a couple of motions on one. And in a strange twist, and one I haven't seen before, uh, we had a motion that actually called for the removal of entity heads Mm-hmm. And Amy, kind of, kind of walk us through that. We have some audio of that as well. That that's something cool that we have this week too. We have some audio from the the convention. Yeah. But uh, walk us through that motion. The motion was calling for the termination of any entity heads who support uh, the building of um, of places of worship, specifically Islamic mosques. And this has been a discussion uh, in the not just in the blogosphere, really in, in news articles and things back and forth. People are on different sides of this. What is, where does religious liberty um, uh, speak to this? And so there was a, a pretty widely publicized editorial in the Christian Index. Um, Bart Barber had a, a great article that kind of responded to that. So that was all leading up. No one was surprised to hear something from the floor. But here was the comparison that jumped out at me that you had such a strong motion calling for the termination of entity heads who um, support this. Then the next day, you, and, and by the way, just as a side note, that was ruled out of yes, order as because, be. our, right, because our structure does not allow for the firing of entity heads by the body. We have a system of checks and balances. We have a way that we work through our trustee board. So um, just, just to clarify, that, that wasn't even an issue that could be discussed. Um, but you, you have someone that calls for that. So then the next day, the ERLC uh, is giving its report, and someone stands up and asks a question. Uh, someone stood up and asked a question of Dr. Russell Moore about this very thing. Tell us, you know, why you support this. And he answered that in a very clear, very strong way um, of what relig- how religious liberty speaks to this. The, the important point is that after he finished speaking, the messengers just in mass stood to their feet and responded with total affirmation. So the comparison between uh, the, you know, the, the extreme of calling for an entity head on the floor and then that response the next day demonstrates where the messengers truly are, because this is, you know, this is a time where anybody can get up to a microphone and speak at a lot of points throughout the two days. So individual messengers have a voice, but the voice that speaks at the end is the collective body. And uh, so, so they spoke. And that was, that was just a really, really interesting thing, because we can get kind of kicked up in the controversy. Oh, my goodness, someone called for a firing. But at the end of the day, we really see where the Southern Baptist Convention as a body gathered stands on something, and it was clear. Yes, it was, and we, we have the audio of that right here. Uh, yes, my name is John Walford. I pastor Armorell Baptist Church in Armorell, Arkansas, and I have a question for Dr. Moore. I would like to know how in the world someone within the Southern Baptist Convention can support the defending of rights for Muslims to construct mosques in the United States when these people threaten our very way of 
existence as Christians and Americans. They are murdering Christians, beheading Christians, imprisoning Christians all over the world. Uh, do you actually believe that if Jesus Christ were here today that he would support this and that he would stand up and say, well, let us protect the rights of those Baal worshipers to erect temples to Baal? Do you believe that, Dr. Moore? You know, sometimes we have to deal with questions that are really complicated and we have to spend a lot of time thinking them through and, and, and not sure exactly uh, what the final result was going to be. Sometimes we have really hard decisions to make. This isn't one of those things. What it means to be a Baptist is to support soul freedom for everybody. And brothers and sisters, when you have a government that says we can decide whether or not a house of worship can be constructed based upon the theological beliefs of that house of worship, then there are going to be Southern Baptist churches in San Francisco and New York and throughout this country who are not going to be able to build. And the bigger issue, though, is not one of self-interest. The bigger issue is the fact that we have been called to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A government that has the power to outlaw people from assembling together and saying what they believe, that does not turn people into Christians, that turns people into pretend Christians and it sends them straight to hell. The answer to Islam is not government power, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the new birth that comes from that. There's Dr. Moore's answer, and not only, Amy, you, you mentioned the response to that, and we heard that there at the end, but also during the the motion the day before, and I don't have the audio for that. I didn't go back and pull the audio because it was too faint to be able to tell, but in the room you could tell uh, people were booing the, the motion and something that I, I don't know if I've seen people boo motions before. There were, uh, like we said, there were a lot of motions, 22 motions brought, and many of those referred. Some of them ruled out of order. You can get the full recap of that and, and all the motions in the Baptist Press article on that. And, and also the other big piece of business and, and probably the the other big audio highlight of the week uh, came during the resolutions report on Tuesday afternoon, uh, not the continuation report on Wednesday morning, because really we ran out of uh, time for it because we had, uh, again, a high number of resolutions that came out. I had 12 resolutions come from committee. Uh, yeah, we made it We made it through half. And then, you know, you just only have so much time in the schedule to cover the report. So the next day we had to vote the rest of them as a block. And so uh, we had one, you know, one amendment to one resolution, but we still were able to vote on them as a block. Um so most of the discussion, there was a little bit of discussion about resolution number five um, surrounding uh, support of Israel, but most of the discussion was on resolution number seven, which I think when those resolutions came out and people saw what was there, I think everyone was kind of preparing for number seven, which was on uh, the Confederate flag. Yes, and Dr. James Merritt spoke to the resolution, actually made an amendment spoke to the resolution and encouraged messengers to uh, to pass the resolution. And we have the audio of that right here. My fellow Southern Baptists, I'm not speaking to you today just as a pastor of a church. I am the great-great-grandson of two men who fought in the Confederate Army. One is buried in a Confederate cemetery in Lynchburg, Virginia. One fought in the battle of my hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. I cannot undo what they fought for, 
but they cannot undo what I wish they had done and what I pray we will do today. Make no mistake, this is a seminal moment in our convention. I believe that God has brought the SBC to both the kingdom and our culture for such a time as this. What we do today with this issue will reverberate through this nation not just today, but I believe a hundred years from now. This is not a matter of political correctness. It is a matter of spiritual conviction and biblical compassion. We have a golden opportunity to say to every person of every race, ethnicity, and nationality that Southern Baptists are not a people of any flag. We march under the banner of the cross of Jesus and the grace of God. Today, we can say loudly and clearly to a world filled with racial strife and division that Southern Baptists are not in the business of building barriers and burning bridges. We're about building bridges and tearing down barriers. So I close with this. There is one thing no one can deny. This flag is a stumbling block to many African-American souls to our witness. And I rise to say that all the Confederate flags in the world are not worth one soul of any race. So my fellow Southern Baptists who I love with all of my heart, and thank God that I will die a Southern Baptist, I ask you to join me as one to support both this amendment and this resolution. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Merritt. Yeah, that's really helpful to hear. And I have to tell you, it was a very interesting experience for me when that, that came because uh, in sort of some of my roles over the two days, I was more involved in the details of facilitating um, the resolutions committee report. Dr. Floyd was presenting, and then we were assisting him um, because there are just so many moving parts to it. So I had to go back uh, that night and watch the video of Dr. Merritt because I was seeing and hearing everyone talk about it and and talk about what a meaningful moment it was but f during that moment i was so busy trying to write everything down and track what was happening that i didn't actually just take it in uh, so it was kind of a surreal thing to go back and listen to it and uh, I, I was kind of taking it in for the first time you know instead of instead of in the moment and and it was a it was a pretty incredible thing you know one one point I'd like to make is some people might have thought that, you know, oh, that the, the, the resolution needed to be strengthened. It, it was it, it, it was too weak. I would like to point out that if the resolution had come out of committee at that level, I think it could have been uh, it could have been said by maybe some of those opposing it. It could have been said, "Oh, they, you know, this 15 people, they they forced this or only 15 people wrote this and that doesn't really reflect and it it was kind of just pushed out there." I think it was really important that a messenger stood from the floor and 
raised this as an amendment because it allowed the body to speak specifically about that one piece of strong language. And they, uh, they spoke overwhelmingly and then the whole thing passed overwhelmingly. It really made that resolution a a resolution that the messengers as a whole were very invested in. And I, I thought that the committee and the, the, they worked well together. So um, amazingly, that whole thing handled in about 10 minutes. Um, but it, it, it was certainly an interesting time. And that led us to probably the parliamentary moment of the week uh, when Dr. Uh, McCarty had to uh, address the floor. I think probably the only time during the convention that I saw it, and it may have happened other uh, times, but I, he addressed the floor you know, with the, the privilege from the chairman. Uh, to explain a parliamentary procedure. And that usually happens maybe once a year or so, uh, just yeah, to kind of clarify things. And, and, right. and he, and in this moment, he was uh, being asked a question, a point of order, because we had a messenger, uh, Judge Pressler from Texas, uh, was asking to speak to the, the previously passed amendment, but time had run out. So uh, Dr. McCarty stepped to the microphone, and here's the audio of him explaining that. Folks, didn't the, you hear last the, just night? A mo- just a moment. Just a moment. Would you please cut that microphone, please? Thank you. The chair has asked the chief parliamentarian to give you an explanation for how he is about to rule on this point of order. The microphone ordering box is a blind electronic system. It tells us who is next in line to speak on any motion. It tells us who has pressed the button first and second and third and fourth. It'll handle up to a dozen people speaking for, against, or people who wish to make amendments. The system is blind. We don't know up here who you are. And frankly, it doesn't matter who you are. You are all messengers. And whether Whether you are a friend of the president or a friend of someone else or whether you're a past president of the convention, the system, it it doesn't recognize who you are. It's first come, first serve. And so we follow the order of recognizing people in the order that the blind electronic box gives to us. By the way, there were a number of lights that were lit up. So there were a number of people who want, as is often the case, that often there are more people who wish to speak to an issue than there is time allowed to speak to that issue. We came to the end of the time allotted for the resolutions report already once. The Committee on Order of Business extended the time once. We came to that second deadline of the time. And so the chair, under the rules, is, is instructed to process the motions that are pending, and then the report is ended. Uh, now, our, chair, our resolutions committee has not reported out all their resolutions. Uh, they'll have to negotiate with the Committee on Order of Business about that. But we have come to the end of the time that you voted on for resolutions. All the resolutions pending have been adopted. We wish there was unlimited time for everybody to say everything that he wanted to, but those are not the rules. And so whether you're a friend or whether you're not, those are the rules. It's, it's impartial. The chair is bound 
to impartially exercise your rules. And so the chief parliamentarian advises the chair to rule the messenger's point of order not well taken. This is probably one of the parts I will never forget. Uh, and and the truth is, and, and and Barry McCarty spoke to this, but you know we really couldn't see up there. And as we even followed the blind system, and you see the microphones that are lit up, you, you still don't even know. So it was a very uh, strange moment, just kind of trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, but as you mentioned, I mean, he usually does step up and explain something about you know, once a, once a time. Typically, though, that is when maybe there's confusion about what's going on with a vote, and the chair asks the parliamentarian to step up and be make it really clear to the messengers what they are doing, you know, here's what's going on. And he only steps up with the permission of the chair. The parliamentarian does not rule. He only advises and helps the president and the messengers. The most important statement in what he said um was when he said, you are all messengers. Um, and that's, that's true. That's something we know to be real. But in that moment, it just really needed to be stated. Uh, and the, the response from the floor was important. At, at that time, what I was trying to do, I was just saying to myself in my head, do not react. Just do not react. Keep a straight face. Um, but inside, I was really processing what an important moment it was. So, yeah, that was kind of the, the highlight of the resolution's time. And we've got a link to the article over Baptist Press with all the information and all the full text of all the resolutions. Uh, you can find all that uh, as probably as well in the SBC app. Uh, so, you know, all the information, all the motions, the resolutions, the business that we did uh, from in those two instances are all recapped over at Baptist Press. That moves us on to a couple of reports here. The committee's report. Uh, was unopposed. Everything kind of went through as uh, Dr. Floyd had recommended in his uh, committee on uh, committees and committee on the, what the committee on nominations brought forward for trustee placements. And also, uh, there was a actually a a new wrinkle in the trustee notifications this year in the daily reports, uh, the bulletins that come out each day. Uh, they did mark some of the later replacement. Uh, trustees uh, with a, a symbol uh, to let people know that these were not in the earlier 45-day window uh, that that had been published in Baptist Press that we talked about about a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, those names uh, were new, and they were notated in the Daily Bulletin. And, and that also, and I only bring this up because we had a motion uh, about that, uh, trying to get something uh, done earlier on that. That motion came from a messenger on the floor. So uh, people are paying attention to that these days. Uh, but everything went kind of unopposed in the committee reports. And uh, that leads us to the entity reports. And most of these were uneventful. Uh, we already mentioned the the question that Dr. Moore got and played the audio for that. Dr. Rayner uh, at Lifeway also got a question about uh, the standards for uh, what Lifeway carries. And here's his response. My name is Scott White from First Baptist Church, Broken Arrow. Mr. Rayner, thank you so much for your service at Lifeway. My question is, I'm naive and ignorant to the process at which you use at Lifeway to vet certain authors or books that make it onto the shelf at Lifeway. Could you help explain that process and how that works? 
Not a simple answer, but I'll do my best in the brief time that I have. First of all, our publishers, those who publish this book, understand the biblical standards to which we adhere. And so when publishers present books to us, they have a very good idea of what our standards are and what we will accept and what we will not accept. There are times when a book will come up that they have presented to us and we will say, should we put it on the, uh, the shelves or should we not? And it is that time it goes through a theological review. It's a, it's a team of uh, people who will look at a book and say, okay, does this pass the theological vetting? If there is still questions, and particularly if there's still some type of controversy over a book, many times it'll even come to the executive level and we will make the decision then. I want you to hear because almost every time when I am making a presentation, and I'm not faulting any of the messengers, I just want to tell you the reality of it. There are questions and questions about books and products that we serve. I, I, I know very clearly Hezekiah 3.16 where it says where two or more Southern Baptists are gathered in his name, there are at least three opinions. And we, we, we can have a book that is, that is lauded by many and yet some still will say it doesn't belong on the shelves. And the difference is not always doctrinal, but sometimes it is. We do our very best, quite frankly. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. There have been many times that I've looked back and I said, well, maybe that was not the right decision. But I want you to know in the, in the retail world in which we exist, where it is in, increasingly difficult just to exist, we are doing our very, very best. We'll make mistakes. We'll hear from you when we do. And we will try our best to be accountable to our Lord that everything we do will bring him glory. I'm actually looking forward to going back and catching some of the entity reports because a lot of times when those were going on, we were preparing for what was happening next, some sort of business. And so uh, even though I was in the room, I, I didn't get to always catch everything. So, Well, and, and I was back there with you during the Lifer Report, even, even being back there in the room on stage or next to the stage, right? you couldn't really hear. I mean, it, no, it's, you had to be sitting right in front of one of those speakers or you had so much echo that you couldn't really understand what was being said. Right. It's not easy to hear, but uh, there's so much to do to coordinate what is happening next uh, that you, you can't always track what's going on at the time. Um, so I, I have a lot I want to go back and catch up on. All right. And that leads us to probably the number one talking point coming out of the annual meeting. And that is the election of Steve Gaines as president of the Southern Baptist Convention after uh, a potential third vote, but only two votes. Right. Um, and we had three candidates coming in, Amy. We had David Crosby at First Baptist New Orleans, Steve Gaines from Bellevue Baptist Church, and J.D. Greer from the Summit Church over uh, in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, where you are. And after the first ballot, David Crosby uh, was eliminated from the race, and that led us to a runoff, what we thought would be a second and final ballot. And then parliamentary procedure kicked in once again. Yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. There are a lot of ways to, to sort of explain this, and I think there was a lot of talking back and forth. But what happened was, even in the second vote in the runoff, neither candidate reached a majority. Now everyone can't figure out how, you know, how does that happen? How can we be this bad at math? Um, but you had two rules that were working together. One was in Robert's Rules of Order, um, which are the rules that we have set 
as a body uh, to to be how we do what we do, um, and then our own bylaws. So our bylaws state uh, the a, a candidate receiving a majority, which is fifty percent plus one. Robert's Rules of Order state that in an election, that an illegal ballot is a ballot cast. So when you think about as your, uh, it's almost like if you think about you, you, you're counting the people in the room, the people who are participating in the decision. Every ballot that gets cast um, is is an actual ballot. It's a person that's that's doing it. And so when you're counting your total number of of people participating, you you count those in the total. Um, so that's how you calculate what a majority is. But if they're not uh, if, if they're not clear, if they're not the correct ballot, if they're not marked clearly, um, then you can't count them for either candidate. So it's an illegal ballot, but it's still a ballot. And so that total number was. Um, was calculated, you know, was used to calculate what 50% plus one is. And so when that happened, um, Steve Gaines was three votes away from reaching that point. Um, but there, there we were. So, uh, so there's been a lot of questions and I saw them on, on social media and there was, um, one guy that kind of uh, reached out to us and everything put out, it's not the first time in history that we went to a third ballot, but I believe it is the first time that we went to a second ballot with the same two people. So I, I think if we look back on these uh, those other two elections, we but might see like... Technically, did we go to a third ballot? We did. And okay, So I guess we did, and then Jim We did, Wells and Jim Wells, the, yes, we, we did, but a candidate withdrew. And so we still were on a third ballot... Uh, but I guess the, sort of the historicness of going to another ballot with the same two candidates didn't end up happening. Um, so it's uh, we went to a third ballot, and then when one candidate withdrew, at that point you're left with only one. So then you don't go through all of the voting. What happens is the registration secretary, Jim Wells, comes forward and says, I, I you know, Mr. President, I cast the ballot on behalf of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then at that moment, um, Steve Gaines was elected president. So uh, so we had kind of a, an amazing time at 10.58 on Wednesday morning with those two gentlemen standing up there and, um, and then a, a speech uh, by uh, J.D. Greer was allowed, the chair, you know, permitted them to come up there and to speak, which we don't always see that either. And uh, that was, I think, very important for all of the messengers. And uh, Dr. Floyd was clear when he said, we want to do this in the right way procedurally, but this is a pastoral moment and this is a moment we need to all have. And so we're going to figure out how to do this within our procedures so that we can um, can have this sort of unifying time. So they stood there together and J.D. Greer uh, delivered um, a, a short speech that got an overwhelmingly positive uh, response from just all ends. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. Well, as Pastor Ronnie mentioned, yesterday's election was pretty extraordinary. Only in the Southern Baptist Convention could we have a runoff between two candidates and neither still get a majority. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not even sure how that is mathematically possible. But I have said from the beginning that it is tricky to lead the SBC. 
Well, I spent a good amount of time last night praying and believe that for the sake of our convention and our mission, we need to leave St. Louis united. In this room, we have various minor points of difference between us. This is, they say, two Baptists yield at least three opinions on any given subject. But we are united by a gospel too great and a mission too urgent to let any lesser things stand in our way. And one of the candidates leaving the convention with a 51 to 49 victory on a third ballot is just not going to serve our mission well. So I am respectfully withdrawing my candidacy as president. Asking, asking you to join me in electing Dr. Steve Gaines as president of our Southern Baptist Convention. I want to be very clear that nobody has asked me to do this. In fact, it was my idea. In fact, when I approached Pastor Steve about this, he had already been thinking of doing the same thing in reverse. But after praying together, we both feel confident that this is the direction that we in our convention need to go. Um, Steve, uh, from the very first moment that they announced the third ballot, uh, it was something that I knew in my spirit that wasn't right. In fact, I think it'd be appropriate for you to share a little bit from your perspective. The chair recognizes Dr. Steve Gaines. <laughs> I guess I better learn how to do that. I don't know. Last night, um, I sat right back there when we were beginning the revival service, and Ronnie announced the results. And there's no way that God's not doing something in all of this. And I immediately felt in my heart, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm pulling out. It had nothing to do with about losing or anything like that. It just, I don't like division and I don't like uh, this tension that I was sensing. And so in my heart, I had already pulled out. And about that time, while we were worshiping the Lord, I felt a tug on my arm from an old friend who has preached in my church many times. And uh, he pulled me out to the side and he said, uh, we're in a mess, aren't we? I said, well, it's a pretty odd thing to be in. And he said, I believe that uh, J.D. feels like that he should pull out. And I said, well, I feel like maybe I should pull out. He said, well, can you two guys talk? And I want you to know, J.D.'s preached in my church. J.D. is one of the finest men of God I know. And I mean that, and I love him. Amen.
And we talked last night and JD really felt strongly that this is what the Lord wanted to do. And I said, I'll do it. It doesn't matter to me. I just want, number one, I want Jesus to be lifted high and I want us to be together. Okay, that's what I want. Thank you, Dr. Gaines. You probably think this is a difficult decision for me, but it is not. I genuinely love Steve Gaines, and I'm grateful for the passion and the faith and the focus on evangelism he brings to our convention. The task for those of you who voted for me is not to complain that things did not go our way. It is to follow the example of our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. It is time for us to step up and get involved, to make the time that you've invested here count and keep pushing forward into the mission with those who have gone before us. It is time to look at what unites us. We exist as a convention of churches because we believe that we can do more together than we can do apart. What keeps us from splitting into a thousand different directions is one thing, our unity in the gospel of Jesus and the urgency of the mission. We stand together. We stand together because God saved us, and we want to see Him save others. I believe that Pastor Steve is a man that all of us, of whatever age, can and will rally behind as he leads us forward. So I move, Mr. President, that we elect Steve Gaines by acclamation as the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So then at that moment, kind of in that moment, ever, the, it was like the tension in the room just started to lift. Yeah, and Amy, I'm not sure if we've seen this before either, where the candidate who did not win uh, seems to have come out of the the week uh, as the, the story of the week. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It just, it just really, I mean, and that's nothing to slight Dr. Gaines. No, uh, no. It's just that this was such an overwhelming moment that it seems like that was the thing that everybody was talking about. Uh, and after the end of the week. Right. And, and Dr. Gaines's response was very humble. Oh, extremely. And, and he t had an incredible speech where he spoke about that he was beginning to think, you know, that, that he should. And there, there was just kind of this um, discussion back and forth. So he was very humble. And it, it was an, a really important moment, I think. And what was great, too, is that you know, that it was after that happened that sort of the mission reports began. And all of a sudden, this thing that divided us was settled. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like it was a healing moment almost. And we were able to really get the focus back on where it should be. And, and that's the mission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and that was just very important. And that's timing that no one could have expected, you know. So Andrew Abear had that planned all along. What do you mean? I'm telling you, it was amazing, and uh, it was kind of one of those things where you step back and realize, you know, if, if, if this had continued, then there isn't any way, especially after three, that there's not um, a struggle, that there aren't hurt feelings, that there aren't people sort of upset, that half the room is unhappy, um, and it, you just think what possible outcome could have everyone sort of settled and healed very quickly, and there it was, so... But Amy, that was not the only 
election. Uh, we also had a couple other elections. Doug Munton ran unopposed in the first vice president. And then the second vice president, we went to a runoff once again. And Malachi O'Brien prevailed in a runoff over Jose Burgos. And, uh, you know, so he is our second vice president now. We talked about would there be another candidate. There was another candidate. And this was kind of weird. So I had just, um, no, I, at that point, I had not even met Malachi O'Brien. Um, I, met, I did meet him later. And we knew about um, Jose. And I saw that there were three. And I still didn't know. I think it had been announced in the pathway. But I still I had not caught that. I still didn't know who the third was. And um, the the uh, nominator got up there and started talking. And uh, the third, uh, Jeff Brown, that's like the one candidate I did know. And I my head shot up. I thought, oh, this is, you know, this is Jeff Brown, who's a really great um, pastor and uh, a professor at Hannibal LaGrange. And, and we've known them for a very long time. So I just want to speak to that, that that was someone that might have been an unknown. But he is a, a, a wonderful Southern Baptist as, as well. So not to be overshadowed, there was another election but not during the annual meeting, but on the, in the pastor's conference. It depends on who you ask, but upset of the week. Uh, Dave Miller defeating John Avant uh, for the presidency of the pastor's conference uh, for next year in Phoenix. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. And that, that was a moment where the pastor's conference, which isn't even really a gathered you know, official body, needed some parliamentary thinking there that they don't usually have to have. Yeah, and, and Dr. McCarty went over and uh, helped them out with that facilitated the election for them. And at the end of the day, Dave Miller uh, came out on top. I, ta- I had a chance to see Dave uh, later on during the week and asked him, you know, how you feeling? And he said, and his response was classic. He said, I feel like the dog that just caught the car. So, <laughs> so Dave is, uh, he's got a, a Herculean task ahead of him now. And uh, I, I know he and his team are up to the task. I cannot wait to see what they come up with for Phoenix next year. I, I've heard they've already had some commitments uh, from a worship leader uh, for the yeah. thing. So I think they left St. Louis with a, a worship leader in hand uh, for Phoenix and uh, also some a uh, pretty good list of, you know, where to start with uh, fulfilling their plan for an expository a pastor's conference uh, made up of small church pastors. So Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. And uh, I'm with you. I didn't run into Dave. I ran into someone else after uh, that had been sort of a part of things. And, and uh, I said, you know, how you feeling? Or, or we said, how you feeling? And, and the answer was, uh, now, we, now we have to put on a conference. And so uh, I, I, think, I think there, as you just said, there was some excitement leaving about uh, what that's going to look like, and I'm very eager to see uh, how that how that turns out. I think it's going to be a really good thing. All right. Well, last week on the show, we talked about seven questions we had uh, for the annual meeting, and we promised to come back and kind of look at those again. Uh, and uh, question number one that leads us right into that: Will the proposed format of the pastors' conference resonate with attendees? And it did. It did. It did. They went for it. So uh, number one is a yes. And that leads us to number two, will we see any last-minute candidates for office? We actually had two candidates jump in after we recorded last week. Uh, We already mentioned Jose Burgos and Jeff Brown. Both of those jumped into the second vice president at the, uh, really, I wouldn't say the last minute, but right before the convention. Uh, So I guess that's a a yes as well. Uh, Our third question was, what will be the composition of the messengers? And I... 
I think, and we've talked about this, it was a lot of the same and a lot different. Uh, yeah. I saw I saw a wider range of ages, that's for sure. Yes, there was a younger group, and we, we kind of expected that. Right. However, I don't think we were as diverse in composition as we have been in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. So it, we just keep going, and, and I, I think that's something we have to continue hoping for. Yeah. All right, number four, will there be any major announcements not really. I'm not quite sure if there were any. If there were, then I might have missed them. Uh, I got to be honest, though, and tell you, with the presidential election going how it did, I'm not sure any of us could have handled any major announcements. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I think man. we had enough. I think it, yeah. that was all we could do. All right, number five was what resolutions will emerge from the meeting. All right, so we, we had discussed the possibility of some of the ones that we knew were coming and it could come. I think a surprise, one surprise might have been that Bart Barber's resolution on sexual predation that we had the interview about did not come from committee. Uh, and at, at the same time, I think it's also like what you said about the last one. I don't know, after all that resolution, if we could have handled another uh, discussion on another really sensitive subject uh, after right. covering refugees and racism and Israel and all that. Uh, so uh, I, I talked to Bart. He was you know disappointed, but at the same time, he understood and was going to you know try to work on that maybe for the future. So, right, um, right. And then number six, will Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary become Gateway Seminary? And? Yes. It did. It did. And, and their booth uh, represented that as such. Yeah, and they looked really happy as we were headed to our luncheon um, on Wednesday. We went walked by theirs and, and saw uh, we have a good friend, Ben Skog, who is, is at Gateway. And they just looked so happy. And uh, I think really excited about what's ahead. And so this was this was a big time for them. All right, and then finally, will Lizette Beard reprise her tour and evaluation of the exhibit hall? And she did with flying colors. She did, and she showed up early and did it on Monday morning. We we were so happy. Um, she took that she took that very seriously. So I, I think that we need to all be expecting it in the future. She also did some great live tweeting of everything. She attended uh, the T at three event. That yes. uh, Southwestern I Seminary upset that I put those on lemon, lemon bars. Yeah, she said they were were fantastic. I was not able to go to that because I had to be with our uh, students from Southeastern at the Executive Committee plenary session. Um, but I was following Lizette's tweets from in there because uh, I really wanted to hear how that event went, and uh, sounded like they just had a, a, a wonderful time. And then she was live tweeting the uh, women's leadership breakfast on Wednesday morning and alumni luncheon on Wednesday. And uh, so she she plays an important role in uh, real-time reporting. She did this week for sure. All right. Well, those are our questions. Amy, before we get to this week in SBC history, want to remind everybody and thank uh, our sponsor, uh, 2028.co. If you have any church technology needs, whether it be for online giving, church websites, church management software, or uh, anything else, uh, give 2028.co a, a look. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y 28.co. And that brings us to this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, you and I talked earlier and decided that I think our minds have been blown enough for the week. And so we're going to count 2016 as the week in SBC history. Um, and and so I, I have a few just sort of insights from the week. Uh, everything we've been covering, people just need to sort of take in that as we do these things, we're experiencing them in the present, but they are setting the course for the future. They are parts of our history. And um, so I had about five things and 
that just I was reflecting on that I some of them maybe were things I already knew, but they really were uh, affirmed or confirmed. Uh, and then some of them were things that I learned. So I have five sort of insights from the week, uh, from this week in SBC history. Uh, one thing I learned, and I know some people know this, but I don't think everyone knows this. I certainly didn't to the level that I do now. The Committee on Order of Business works harder than anyone in that room realizes. Um, for those two days, and I know the Committee on Committees works hard. I know the Nominating Committee works hard. I know the Resolutions Committee, particularly this year, they worked nonstop from Friday, you know, until they were presenting. But um, but the Committee on Order of Business um, is made up of very committed individuals. Uh, there are six of them, and they... Uh, they are on from Sunday afternoon until the gavel comes down on Wednesday and it's constant, you know, and sometimes people think, oh, they just kind of set the schedule and then they, um, they stand up and extend the time, but that's well, not, yeah. Well, they, and they do set the schedule, but they some, do? sometimes things happen during those few days that changes the schedule completely. Like the meeting I was in on Monday. Right. So. Um, it, yeah, it, it changed, things changed the schedule completely. Uh, the, we had a, a change immediately because, uh, there was one part in the schedule that had been planned that was dependent upon a bylaw change. Then the Monday uh, meeting, the executive committee, that bylaw change actually did not make it out. And so that changed the schedule around. But even in the moment, the schedule changes uh, on the fly because of things that happen, because if, if elections, you know, if you go to a runoff, then you've got to be prepared to shift things down. Um, I learned this. I didn't even know this. You can't actually have the election for first vice president or second vice president until the president is decided. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, so if that doesn't happen, then everything is sort of on hold. And then you, you can stop and think, okay, uh, what's what's the big deal? A schedule shifts around. We have a certain set of things that our bylaws by require us to do during those two days. And if anything gets sort of pushed out, then we have to figure out how to get that next thing back in because we can't leave the city without doing that legally. Like our, our, just, our bylaws call for us to take care of certain things. And so they are on their toes all the time. Um, they have a, a parliamentarian that's with them, that's helping them. That was Adam Greenway. He just did a phenomenal job. I, I really enjoyed working with him and just learning from him, listening to him. Um, and they, they're just constantly on. They also keep the time. Um, that was a, a, another parliamentarian, Craig Colbreth, who was the one that would sort of go up and tell people when time was done. Uh, but it is the Committee on Order of Business that's sort of facilitating that and monitoring that. Um, they handle the microphone ordering box. They uh, just all the tech, technical pieces of that. They're just an unbelievable group of people, and they serve three-year terms, so they continue to come back. Uh, they're sort of in different rotations, you know, so there were two that rotated off and, and stuff. And Andrew Hebert uh, was, was the chair, and he worked so hard. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know him. And so I, I just think sometimes people don't quite realize. You just see all these folks over at the tables. Um, 
but they are an incredibly committed uh, group of uh, of Southern Baptists, and so I, I just I, I was honored to to meet them and watch them. So the Committee on Order Business works harder than anyone I know. Second one that is just is just really important for us to remember. Now this line I'm stealing it from one of my favorite television shows, The West Wings. So this is an Aaron Sorkin line, um, but there's a great statement that just says decisions are made by those who show up, and. 7,321 messengers. That's the unofficial. And and that also was part of 11,581 people total who were there when you count everything, exhibitors and, and all of that. So that was a lot of people. But 7,321 messengers, that's 35% above last year in Columbus. Um, we had a lot of major things that happened as you and I were just talking about, and it happened because the people came. And so the people who were in that room were the ones who made those decisions and, and just watching that in action. A uh, third thing is just that the messengers are a diverse bunch of people with a diverse bunch, uh, with a diverse spectrum of views as we saw. And as, uh, as Barry McCarty really sort of brought home, no one messenger is more important than the other, or no one messenger is important than another. And uh, we can step back and think, oh, there are, you know, it's, it's all the system is rigged and all of that. It's not. Um, when the body gathers, the messengers stand and everyone stands on equal ground. And, um, you know, when the parliamentarians are there, sometimes you can step back and say, oh, they're just there for the president so that he can kind of rule over. The president is there to um, to help the messengers do their work. He's there to lead them as they have their discussion, because if you don't have someone to lead, you get 7,000 people in a room trying to make a decision together, and that's not an easy thing. And so the um, the parliamentarians are in place to help the messengers all do their work, not to help the president, you know, just push over. And so, um, so no one messenger is, is more important than another. And we really got to see that sort of beautiful thing. Uh, the fourth thing I learned is that rulings are made by people who have the highest respect for the process. I was fascinated because one of the things I was seeing, uh, as the, the, this election was being dealt with on social media You'd every now and then see sort of a, a kind of a snarky comment that said, oh, they're in a back room, you know, making a decision. And um, what I saw was a system that had layer upon layer upon layer of protection for our system itself. And it was people of the highest level of integrity. And um, I believed that before, but I saw it uh, this, this time. And I, I really appreciated it. Um, we had four parliamentarians, we had three attorneys, we had six members of the committee on order of business. Uh, we had a registration secretary, uh, who oversees the tellers and, uh, Jim Wells is, is a man of great honor. And, um, and so just sort of watching, watching all of that was a pretty incredible, incredible thing. So we have a, a structure that was put in place a long time ago, and, and we've worked to keep it strong through the years, but it is strong. And um, so that that was a great thing to see. I don't think I would have said that wasn't true, but I got to actually witness it. And final, and this is my, my insight. There's probably a lot of people who would, uh, would just scoff at this, but you know, Robert's rules are a good thing and they are for everyone. 
And uh, I I got to uh, to just be a part of that and enjoy it. So it was a pretty incredible, incredible time. Um, and I'm just going to say that in, uh, in 2016, uh, we had a somewhat divided convention that walked out with arms locked, and it all happened this week in SBC history. That's right. That is a, a great way to put it there. Uh, Amy, uh, just real quick, I want to get your couple thoughts on a couple things. Um, best food item you had all week? Oh, I went to um, Mango, which was a Peruvian restaurant. Loved that. And, and that was great. And I had some gooey butter cake. That was great. But probably I went to some um, it was like Broadway Oyster Bar or something like that. And I had these crawfish enchiladas. What? They were incredible. Amazing. Oh, wow. That that's that's quite impressive. I I oh wow man I'm I'm sad I missed that now. Um, for me it was probably uh, we had a a dinner uh, I think Tuesday night after everything had kind of gone down I, I went to dinner with some friends uh, from back in Alabama and uh, had a had a steak just a it, it was just a, a steak place and and that was good so I mean like I the the thing was that one of the the low lights I guess I can say low lights. One of the uh, kind of the disadvantages of being so busy this week, and probably the busiest I've ever been, is I didn't get to uh, to partake in the food scene like I, I have in the past. Um, I but, know, but I did. Me I did get a, actually. You know what? I I forgot about the burger I had. We went to a um, uh, over to the Del Mar Loop that Ronnie Kurtz had talked about, and went to a Three Kings Ale House or something like that. It was a burger place, and um, I had a burger on Saturday that was that was top notch too. So I forgot about that. That was really really good. So. Um, yeah, the the food I didn't. I I'm kind of disappointed. I didn't get to to have much of the food there in St. Louis. Uh, I did get a bite of Leah Finn's gooey butter cake. She offered me a bite of that, and that that was about the extent of my butter cake or the uh, the gooey butter cake uh, experience for me. Yeah, I had a, I had some that had come from Gooey Louie, which I think is is a a great place in St. Louis, from what I understand, and I, I thought it was great. So. A lot of fun. All right. And then final question for you, Amy. Uh, maybe like the event of the week that you attended, uh, you know, just kind of the highlight event-wise. Well, I, I have to say there were two. But um, one, uh, our women's leadership breakfast on Wednesday morning, and, and I enjoyed that. But I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to be at all of that because I had to head to, to do some some work. But um, the uh, Southeastern Alumni Luncheon, which some of my coworkers were really – uh, the, my, my, my colleagues were really running point on, they did a fantastic job and I love that, but I, I suppose I'm biased when I say that. Well, you, you may be biased, but you're also truthful. Cause that would also be my highlight of the week. Uh, just from the presentation standpoint, the atmosphere, the, just what you guys did, the production, the, the guests, I mean, good grief. You had the Gettys there at the, um, at the event and, you know, singing the brand new school hymn. Uh, it, it just, it was, that was the best seminary luncheon I think we've ever seen at the Southern Baptist Convention. Most of these are just, you go and you, you listen to a presentation or, you know, you sit around and you eat, which we did, but you guys did it in a way. And, uh, so hats off to all the folks over at Southeastern. Thank you again for the invite. And, uh, I mean, it was jaw dropping, uh, the, some of the pictures and stuff out of there. Hopefully people could see that, but that was, that was just outstanding. Uh, speaking of of the Gettys, I, I've had to leave the the SPC and go straight to the Gospel Coalition for Women. So um, here they they did a concert at the end of the the first night session, and uh, we 
the, those of us who were here from Southeastern went into the room because they were introducing all the songs. So we kept waiting for when they would introduce for the cause. And they mentioned um, that it was connected with Southeastern Seminary. And we all yelled and screamed. And uh, he turned, he stopped, and he said, um, there you are, all four of you, or, you know, something like that. And it, it, it was fun. Um, but we, we really appreciate that. And it was fun to celebrate that this week. All right, so that's going to leave us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is go back and watch the videos because not only do we live stream the SBC annual meeting, but they also are immediately placed up online in a video archive on demand. If you go to sbcannualmeeting.net and you click live stream, you can go to that on-demand archive. It's very easy. You aren't, it's not like you have to sit in and turn it on and try to fast forward. It's broken up by each component in the schedule. So if if you weren't there or if you were there but you had to be out and you missed something, go look back. Go look back at the 10 minutes of a, of a particular report or go look back at the, at the motions. It's an incredible learning experience. And um, those archives exist actually for uh, years past as well, so you can you can see different things. But that's my resource of the week. I think those are great ways for us to uh, to kind of reflect on on what has happened. All right, and my resource of the week is the brand new album from Keith and Kristen Getty, "Facing a Task Unfinished," including the Southeastern Seminary hymn for the cause uh, and a, a host of other songs. Uh, it's just a fantastic album. I've had it for a few weeks. And uh, they re officially released it this week. Uh, so be sure to pick that up. Uh, you can download it on iTunes or uh, anywhere that you get your music. Uh, but pick up Facing a Task Unfinished by Keith and Kristen Getty. All right. Well, Amy, we have uh, survived another year of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Next year we head to Phoenix. And uh, also, uh, you know, that, that just because the annual meeting is over does not mean that the Southern Baptist Convention stops or the news stops coming from the convention. So uh, we will see you next week. See you next week.